0: All right, so when I was a young man, about a year ago, uh, no, I was fresh out of high school, and uh, I needed a job because there weren't going to be a lot of high wage jobs out there for someone fresh out of high school. So I needed a job that was going to give me a lot of hours. And so uh, I was able to find work at a hot dog stand. All right, there was a hot dog stand in, in my town of Sterling, Virginia, and um, I was able to work there, and it was a really, really busy place. There always lines, and I was pretty good at what I was doing, making hot dogs. And so uh, I was kind of known amongst the people who worked there as somebody who could keep things moving really quickly, you know, even when the lines were long. So people might be waiting on their drinks, but they're going to have their hot dog in their hand, right? And uh, so I was really good at this, and we had a supervisor, Our, our hot dogs looked Nothing like that. But, um, but we had a supervisor who would come over periodically, kind of the, yeah, I had been working since I was like 14, but, you know, kind of, uh, th- this guy just really seemed with it, really seemed to have his thing together. He would come around and say, hey, I need two of you to follow me. We're going to go do this. And he just seemed to always know what to do, when to do it, just how to do it. And I, so I was kind of, you know, at 18 years old, I was kind of looking up to him like, yeah, I want to be with it like that guy. So I started thinking, hmm, hot dog stand manager. I wonder if I could be one of those. And so I began to have visions of grandeur as I would think to myself, imagine the prestige of managing a hot dog stand, having all of the answers, being able to To tell people what to do and everybody coming to you, hey, what am I supposed to do? And and you knowing just what to do and I could make more money and I could hire and fire people. So eventually the time came when I was able to step into that role and be a hot dog stand manager. And I was really excited about this because I didn't know much about what the job would entail, but I knew that I kind of wanted to be like that guy or what I, what I thought that guy was. So I go to work, first day, and I kid you not, by lunchtime, I was beginning to see that this job was nothing like what I had hoped it would be. I was working alone a lot, which I couldn't stand, uh, there was a lot of paperwork, a lot of spreadsheets in front of me, tons of numbers, and I'm not an accountant, and, and so that, that was bothering me, and worst of all, the thing that I hated more than anything else on the face of the earth was inventory. I hated doing inventory, but we had to do it, and so I was miserable in this role. I hated it. I was, you know, coming home, just beat tired because it was just mentally exhausting for me and then I was never that tired when I was standing on my feet all day rolling hundreds of hot dogs and um, it didn't take me long to realize that I was a lot happier when I was just rolling hot dogs and serving them to people than I was in the management role. So I didn't realize this then as I was experiencing all of this but there's actually a name for this It's called the Peter Principle. And what is the Peter Principle? The Peter Principle, summarized, is when people are promoted to the level of their incompetence. All right? So it works like this. I get hired by an organization to do a job, and I do a really good job, and so they promote me. And I get more money, and I get more responsibility, and I do a really good job again, and so they offer me another promotion which I, of course, accept, and I get more money and more responsibility, more people working under me, and uh, but along with that increased responsibility comes increased accountability to those who are above me, and so uh, I'm doing very well here, and so they want to promote me again, and so I go to the next rung of the ladder, and I get even more responsibility, more people under me, more money, and... But in this particular position, it's different. This time I'm struggling. I am feeling in over my head. Things aren't as easy as they were in my other roles, and I know deep down that I'm not doing a very good job and I'm not a great fit for this role. My productivity's down, my morale and my self-esteem are low and I'm not doing the job as well as I want to and as well as the organization needs me to. So the Peter Principle basically says that the rung of the ladder just below the one where you start to see your incompetence is your best fit in any organization. And I say all that to make this point, that when an employee or a volunteer or a team member, or a family member, and this is true everywhere. When someone is struggling in their role, it is painful for that person. And it is painful for the whole organization as well. And this happens everywhere, including churches. Here's what happens. Good people, the right people, end up doing the wrong things. And the big win for any organization is when we have the right people doing the right things. Because when that is happening, everybody wins. I was killing it, making hot dogs. But when I got to the next rung of the ladder, I came face to face with a place where I was not a good fit. This is where my incompetence started to show. And I hated going to work. It was frustrating. It was hard, all of those pieces of paper and those numbers and all of those details that I had to keep straight in my mind all the time. Every day going to work was like slogging through a swamp. You see, when we trade the ideal fit for advancement, everybody loses. And that's the dangerous deal that we're talking about today. Again, I was the right person doing the wrong thing, and the whole organization felt that. I got my advancement, you know, I got all of the power and the prestige that came with that position of hot dog stand manager, but I paid a price too, and the price I paid was an ideal fit. So fortunately, I realized pretty early on that I was not a good match for this new position, and I gladly gave up the pay increase. To go back to killing it, making hot dogs. And it was a step down. You know, I wasn't able to tell anybody what to do. Um, you know, people weren't coming to me with uh, questions anymore, I was just making, cranking out hot dogs. And, but here's the thing, because it was the right fit for me, I was much happier and the whole organization was as a result. You see, promotions can be great, they can be awesome. Many of us have experienced them, but sometimes what seems like a great opportunity to us, when we walk through that door and accept a promotion, can leave us feeling like we're failing, like we're failing those below us, like we're failing those above us to whom we're accountable, like we're failing ourselves. So I want you to think back, think back to the times in your life and your own story when you were really happy. When you were happiest. This could be, you know, in your job or in, in a classroom or or in your high school class or on a team and again, family. This could be anywhere, church. The times that you were the happiest were the times that you felt like you were the perfect fit for whatever it is that you were doing. The duties and the tasks and the responsibilities that you were involved in, were perfectly aligned with your core competencies and your strengths. You never had to do what that comedian we saw was asked to do. Come up on the stage and play an instrument that you don't know how to play or come up and do something that you're not good at in front of everybody. Right? That's awful, but have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you didn't fit at all? And I'm sure if we went around the room today, everybody could give multiple stories about times in our lives when we felt like we were not a fit at all, like we were completely out of place, like a woodpecker in an iron factory. We've all felt like this at times, every one of us. But what I want you to know today is that though perhaps you haven't felt that in a while, you haven't felt, you know, that uh, happy in your role, that you haven't felt that, that perfect fit, or maybe you have yet to even experience that, I want you to know today that there is an ideal fit just for you. There is an ideal fit for all of us. In fact, you want to hear something about us that's true? Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. A masterpiece. Let me ask you, when you're rolling out of bed in the morning, you're just getting ready to, to do your normal rigmarole that you do every day, do you go through that day knowing that you are God's masterpiece? but we are. You and I have been specially crafted by an all-wise God who never makes mistakes and who never gets it wrong. We have been uniquely designed, uniquely gifted to play a specific role or perform a specific task that benefits us and everyone around us as well. You see, if you're the right person doing the wrong thing, like I was, then we're not gonna feel much like the masterpiece that we are. What we will feel is frustrated, stuck, and mismatched, completely out of place, like a cat on Doug Mather's lap. <laughs> so, my goal today is to help us to avoid some pain. I hope that will be the result of of, uh, this message today, to avoid some pain, to help us find the right place, that right role, that ideal fit, namely God's fit for us. So how is it that we find the ideal fit? The ideal fit is a function of three things. It is passion, it is availability, and it is our giftedness. When these three things are properly aligned, man, that's it. That is our sweet spot, and everybody has a sweet spot. Now, if you've ever been involved in any kind of organized sports or something, you are familiar with the term sweet spot because it comes up all the time. There is a section of the baseball bat that the hitter tries, when tries to connect with the ball, the hitter connects on that bat's sweet spot is when he gets the best, he or she gets the best results. And so everything that the batter does, where they stand in position to home plate, Right? Whether it's far away or close to it or far back or, or forward, how bent the knees are, where the hands are, gripping the bat, all of that stuff, we pay attention to all of that stuff and do countless hours of practice and swings. Why? It's all so we can, when that ball comes across the plate, we can connect on that part of the bat, which is about that long, that is the sweet spot. The same thing is true in tennis, And the same thing is true in golf. A golfer works really hard on the swing so that when that club head comes through on the downward motion and that club face connects with the ball, it's right on the sweet spot. Now, missing the sweet spot is a really big deal. You can miss it by an inch, either to the left or to the right, and the result will be nothing like what you were hoping for you will end off either way off to the left or way off to the right you'll uh, end up on another fairway like I usually do and uh, you're way off course you end up far away from where you ever wanted to be or intended to be and so it's so important for us to find that sweet spot and to stay in it because when we don't we pay a price and so does everyone around us, like this. (laughs) First aid on the way. Can we ask you all to move? Back over here, please. (laughs) all right so she was connecting with the ball on the sweet spot true or false false and how do we know that because it was painful for everyone especially that poor old woman on the ground who gets keel hauled twice i mean what are the chances doug mathers couldn't even hit that lady twice in a row once yeah definitely but but not twice in a row So I love that, make her cut it out, (laughs) and that will be you when you're not operating in your sweet spot. All right, so we are all about pain avoidance today, okay? Let's talk about this beautiful trifecta, if you will, three spheres we'll call them, of passion, availability, and giftedness. You can see that the three spheres here, they overlap and they intersect, but where they all share some space is right there in that red area, and that is what we're after. That is the sweet spot. So let's take a look at each of these three. First of all, passions. Passions. What really lights me up? What's my want to? Where do I feel most fulfilled and rewarded And productive, when it comes to serving God, what makes my heart come alive? All of these questions get us right to this one. What is my passion? What am I passionate about? Another way of arriving at knowing what your passions are can be like from the other direction. What gets under my skin? What really bothers me? you can get there that way too. You see, passions they drive us. Passions help steer us towards our sweet spot in life. But it's important to remember that passion on its own is not enough. It's not enough. A big offensive lineman on a football team may have a passion to play quarterback. But guess what? It ain't happening right i followed football for a long time too long and too closely and i have never come across a 6 foot 7 330 pound quarterback outside of a video game but passion is really important but it doesn't stand alone it's not the whole pie it is a piece of the pie and truthfully I could end up shipwrecked in my life if I began making decisions and life choices based solely on passion. So that's one sphere. Another sphere is availability. Availability. Now, on one level, this one is just extremely basic. You say, hey, Monday, 4 o'clock, I'm moving and I could, I'd love to have your help. Are you available Monday at 4 o'clock? And so I'm quickly thinking of something that I'm doing that makes me busy. Um, no, but I, I look at my calendar, and I'm like, oh, I've got appointments all Monday afternoon and evening. I'm sorry, I'm not available, right? So that's not difficult. What I would encourage you to do is call Doug Weinkoff because he is available, and it is his sweet spot, helping people move, Okay. Uh, But the word availability means that you not only have the space in your life to do a specific thing or to serve in a specific way, but if you don't have the space right then, you will make the space because that's what we do. And you can see here how our passions are influencing our availability, we will make space in our lives for what lights us up. In other words, when I'm really passionate about something, I will make room in my life in order to accommodate it. Now, this is important too. Just because I'm available does not mean that I'm qualified. I might be available to play the drums one week, but that doesn't mean I'm qualified to play the drums. If we want anything that sounds like rhythm and good timekeeping, then you don't want me on the drums. I could inform the Minnesota Timberwolves that I am available to play center for them. I could do that. Am I going to get a call from their front office? Probably not, because there is a certain size that one must be and a certain skill set required to play center in the NBA and I, don't, I, I have neither. But the point is availability alone is not enough. Just like passion, availability needs to be informed and influenced by the other two spheres. And it's crucial that we nail down all three of the spheres. Even passion and availability together can still mislead us and take us off course if we ignore the third sphere of Gifts and abilities. Gifts and abilities. This one is really crucial, and we're not going to go, you know, all through the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament this morning. There, there are like twenty of them, uh, but these gifts are given by God to believers. Uh, you remember when we talked about being God's masterpiece, uniquely designed, uniquely gifted to perform. Special tasks and and play specific roles. That is what spiritual gifts are. And it is critically important in a church that people serve in their area of giftedness. We need every person using his or her gifts because the whole church is built up and edified when we use our God given gifts. Now Paul illustrates this beautifully by liking all of the spiritual gifts that make the church go, that really make the church thrive, he likens it to a body and the way that a body works. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. You hear body of Christ, that's just church, okay? Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? This is like super basic from Paul here, right? I can imagine the first, you know, the actual uh, original recipients of this letter must have been like, thanks Paul, you know, um, but this is what I want you to see, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it, another translation says, he distributes the gifts just as he wills, there are no mistakes in this, this is beautiful, And where things can get really messed up is when we try to be a part of the body that we aren't. When we operate outside of our divine gifting, as if we know better where we fit than God, who has designed us and given us the gift. So maybe I get jealous of another person's gift. And maybe there's a gift that I really wish I had, but I don't have it. And so I'm going to pretend that I have it, and I'm going to tell a bunch of people that I have it, so they'll think that I do, and they'll match me up with uh, some area of service that I know that I'm not going to be a good fit for, but it's really where I want to be. And so what happens then? I become the right person doing the wrong thing, and the whole organization feels the pain. And another way things can get really messed up is when people who have gifts choose not to use them. Not using your gifts is painful and it restricts the body of Christ and yet sadly these things absolutely do happen in churches. In fact, it was apparently happening in the very first churches because in uh, all those letters that Paul writes that makes up so much of the New Testament, there are chapters that he writes about the proper use of spiritual gifts. And evidently, the believers in Rome, they were maybe operating outside of their gifts. And so Paul needs another one of these super basic reminders to send them, just profound in its simplicity. But he says this to them, In his grace, God has given us different different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. And if it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. In other words, be what God has uniquely designed you to be a part of the body of Christ. And that when you and I are doing this, when we are finding our sweet spots and we are serving there, everybody, everybody wins. So our sweet spot is where our passions and our availability and our giftedness all intersect and and come into alignment. So How do we find the sweet spot? How do we get there? Well, you can start by asking yourself some questions. You can ask, what am I passionate about? What really gets me going? What really revs my engine? What's my want to? Right? What are my passions? You can also ask yourself, am I available? Is this something that I have room on my plate for right now? And if I believe that it's something that God's leading me to, then what's going to come off my plate? Because you know how plates work. You only have so much on it. And when something comes on, something's got to go off at the same time. So how do I make room for this in my life? Am I available? You can also ask, what unique spiritual gifts and abilities has God given to me? So I've been a pastor, a youth pastor mostly, but you know, working for maybe 13, 14 years, and I've helped a lot of people in talking through and, and figuring out their spiritual gifts. And in my experience, there's no set answer for this, but in my experience, it seems like most people have two or three, right, of the 20 or so. But you ask, what unique spiritual gifts and abilities has God given me? Now. Answering all of these questions will lead us to a place where we are able to clearly identify our sweet spot. We can discover it. And you need to understand that this could take years. This could take years, all right? It's, it's called life. It's a process. It's called trial and error. It's called figuring it out. I didn't know that I was an incompetent hot dog stand manager until I became a hot dog stand manager. I had to do it to know that I was not a fit for it. And I think that as we get older, it's just natural in the maturation process that we become more self-aware and it becomes clearer to us what our strengths and weaknesses are. But it's a process. This doesn't happen overnight and this is not like a, a flick of the switch thing. So. I'm going to get just a little bit old school here for a minute. This illustration might be familiar to some of you, and that's fine. If it is, it makes an excellent point that is right in line with this message today. And I know I don't need to tell any of you this, but I am a highly skilled individual, and I can do things on demand. I can take these two hands, and I can just rub them together just like this. Anytime I feel like it. And with these same two hands, I can use these fingers and without even warming up, I can just snap them just like that. Might be the middle of the day, I'll be like, you know, I feel like snapping my fingers. And I'll just start snapping them. Right? I can take these same two hands and I can bang them against my leg. Just like that. And and sometimes and I don't even need to warm up or limber up for this, I can just jump, just like that. Now you don't look to him as impressed as I had hoped you might be, but you need to understand that uh, uh, you should be impressed because um, you know most seminary graduates don't have this level of skill that I am showing you right now. But here's, here's the thing. It's just one. It's just one person. It's just the power of one, the power of me. But what we're after is unity. We are after the power of all of us. What if a whole group of people united together using their gifts and their skills right alongside me when I'm using mine? We could make it rain. Check this out. Maybe some of you have seen that or done that, but I hadn't seen it. And when I saw it, I was floored. That's awesome, a thunderstorm rolling in and and moving out. But that's the power of us. And that illustration is what every church should be aiming to be, should be striving to be, a group of people who are united, striving towards the same goal, living in the same direction, each person playing their part, playing their specific role, and the result is beautiful, and it's moving, and it creates an energy. You heard how that crowd was reacting. It creates an energy, and people on the outside want to be a part of it because it's so attractive. So my question to you is this. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of that? You know, when Crosswind's church was uh, just getting started, and they're like, "What kind of church are we going to be?" And they they uh, came up with some core values, and one of the church's core values that was extremely important to them, you know, as they were getting going, has to do exactly with what we're talking about this morning: spiritual gifts. Value number four, to be exact. We believe men and women should be released from all barriers in order to minister according to their gifts and abilities. And I love that that phrase, released from all barriers, got put in there. That is just so true and so real. And what I love about this is that this is one of my roles here on staff at Crosswinds is to you know just uh, meet with people and, and meet people where they are and help them take the next step. This is my sweet spot. I would love to help you discover what your spiritual gifts are. I would love to help you discover what your sweet spot is. If you came to me and said, Jeff, uh, would you be okay with us sitting down and I could share some of my story with you, some of my life experiences, and, and uh, we could talk through that and kind of see what my gifts are, see what, where my sweet spot might be and what might be a good place in the church that I could connect and it would be a good fit for me. Man, I would love to do that. That would be one of the highlights of my week. Okay? So, in your program today, just inside, uh, you see a little section there uh, from today's message. Now, all of the spiritual gifts from the New Testament are listed there, but what I really want you to see is the web address that's on there. Some of you have done a spiritual gifts tests before. Uh, if you haven't, I want to strongly encourage you to do that this week. This site would just be good for you to sit down and spend a little bit of time on. It does a great job explaining the gifts and and how these gifts look, you know, just living everyday life. It tells what each one is and a place in Scripture where you can find it. Taking this little test will help you to identify where your areas of gifting are. And this would be a really cool thing for families to do for small groups to do or for uh, you know crosswinds team team leaders maybe you have your team do this this is just uh, really really good stuff it doesn't take long and it can help you discover your area of giftedness and then when aligned with your passion and your availability discover your sweet spot so I want to end on this today This beautiful statement from Paul that can serve as kind of a capstone for everything that we've talked about today. In Ephesians 4, he says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Now, perfectly doesn't mean, you know, uh, that it's just going to be easy or blissful all the time. You'll still have challenges, you still have things you have to overcome. Uh, sometimes it's yourself you have to overcome, but it says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I want to be a part of a church that is healthy and growing and full of love, and I hope that you do too. It is our dream for you to discover the area of gifting, for you to find your sweet spot, and to serve there. And it would be our pleasure to help you get there, if you'd like us to. Because when we are all serving in our sweet spots, we all, we all win. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the part of your body that we are. Help us to discover our area of giftedness, Lord. Help us to arrive at our sweet spots and to serve there so that we can build up and edify others and be built up and edified ourselves. That we would be a church that is healthy and growing and full of love. That that could be said of us. Make it so, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.